are listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series, The Holy Spirit, Power in Us. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. If you're a first-time guest, welcome. My name is Jamal. I'm one of the pastors here. Man, we are really thankful that you are here with us today. Um, I have the joy of being able just to explain, read, and apply God's Word to um, our hearts. So uh, we're just going to pray, and then we're going to dive into today's message. Pray with me. Uh, Holy Spirit, we... Uh, Thank you for bringing us to uh, this point in the service. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would continue to allow your spirit to work. I pray that through your spirit and your spirit's power that you would cultivate in us love. We ask this not by might nor by power, but according to your spirit. Speak, Lord. Bring healing. Bring perspective. Bring renewal. Give hope. In Jesus' name, amen. It has been said that within every human being, there's a deep desire to be loved. To be loved, that is just natural within all of our hearts. And when we look at today's passage and the love that the Apostle Paul sets before us, it is a divine love. He's not speaking of a merely brotherly love or a, um, a love of affection or um, eros. He is speaking of this divine, full, rich, selfless, consistent unbreakable love 
And it's not just speaking of it in terms of, it's not a, a noun, it's a, it's a verb. And we compare this with what the world is showing us and telling us regularly love is. That love is a feeling. Uh, for some people, they use love to control, to manipulate, or they confuse love with lust. But the Apostle Paul is going to put a beautiful picture before us, the most beautiful picture I think ever uh, penned, ever written on what love is. And as you know, we're in the middle of a series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, the, we're looking at today the Holy Spirit and love. You may be asking yourself, well, if this is a series on the Holy Spirit and it's the Holy Spirit on love to the intensive reader, you may be thinking, well, I did not see the Holy Spirit mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, you're right. 1 Corinthians 13 does not mention the word Holy Spirit, does not mention the person of the Spirit. However, this passage is nestled in between chapter 12 and chapter 14, where the Holy Spirit is just present all throughout as the Apostle Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. And he starts off in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 through 7. He is encouraging the church. He is saying, I thank God for you and every mentioning of you in my prayers because you are enriched with knowledge. You are enriched with spiritual gifts. Uh, this church was just popping when it came to spiritual gifts. They were a gifted body of believers. But Paul is writing to this church because there is an undercurrent of pride in the church. Last week, we looked at the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we talked about how the wisdom of the world is all style and, and, and over substance, and how Paul's way of preaching and Paul's way of ministry was substance, and the substance specifically was the way of the cross. Paul has been driving that in throughout the book of Corinthians, and he gets to chapter 12 through 14, and he wants to tell the church, listen, I love you all. Uh, Christ has died for you, but your overemphasis on spiritual gifts and the way in which you guys are cutting up the church into groups based upon these gifts and celebrating certain people who have these gifts, um, they are not pleasing to God. And specifically, we'll see that Paul was really going after the use of the gift of tongues and, and knowledge. And Paul says in chapter 12, verse 31, I want to show you a better way, and that is the way of love. Another reason that we can focus on the Holy Spirit and love from this passage is simply because the Bible teaches us that love is a result of the Holy Spirit invading our hearts and shaping us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, we read these words, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So God's love is poured out, is into our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit upon salvation. He shapes our heart through God's love, and we become those who experience his love and who's able to love others. We also know in Galatians chapter 5 that the Apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and he starts that list of the fruit with love. Some argue that Paul is saying the fruit of the Spirit is love. And just as he's doing in 1 Corinthians 13, he's really unpacking what love looks like. Love is a result of the empowering presence and power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so today we want to simply talk from this main point or unpack this main point throughout the sermon in a nutshell is this, lean into Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and practice love. I want to keep that up there for a second. Lean into Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and practice love. Now, why choose lean into? Isn't there a better way to say that, a more sophisticated way of saying that? I'm sure that there is. But here's, we can say abide, we can say a number of things. But here's what I want you to remember. Love is not something we live up to. And if you try to live up to love, you are going to be crushed. In fact, in about 10 minutes, just about all of us in our hearts are going to start feeling a little bit. We're going to start feeling crushed, all right? Because naturally, there's going to be this impulse to say, I have to live up to this. The invitation is not to live up to it, it's to lean into someone. We don't live up to love, we lean into Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, He enables us to love well. And so there's three quick movements, and Apostle Paul made this passage really easily. He broke it off into three uh, movements for us, and it's this, the priority of love. Love alone counts. The practice of love, love alone conquers. And the permanence of love, love alone continues. The priority, practice, and permanence of love. And we're going to start off by looking at the priority of love by looking at verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful verses. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. Let's listen to that. Look at that again. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. And so Paul is letting the church know, and he's really going after um, this hyper attention that's being given to the gift of languages. All right. And here he says, if they're languages of humans or they're languages of Angels, there's a lot of ink that's spilt over what is tongues. Is it a heavenly language that no one knows really what's being happening as, unless some, someone else who has a gift of interpreting those languages? Or is it just basic languages? I actually think that it's, it's the gift of just languages, human language. And Paul is saying, if I have that, or if they're angelic, that's perhaps uh, a hyperbola there. He's saying, if I have that gift, but I do not love... I'm just making noise. To the ears of God, I am a clanging cymbal. Whatever the cymbal is making, all right? It's just noisy. And so how do we apply that to our heart as a church? Listen, spiritual gifts are given by God through the Holy Spirit. They are important. They are beautiful. Paul argues in chapter 12 that Christ has, God has given them to us for the common good of the church for the building up of the church and to glorify Christ. The gift of tongues for the church uh, of Corinth was important. But practicing and having the gift of tongues when the intended purpose is not to love the body and to love God and to, to love Jesus is pointless. And so how can we as a body apply that to us? Um, the Lord has gifted many of us with, with many gifts. Um, some of us, we know Arabic or, or Hebrew or Greek. And when we're in community group, we can really help explain something by possibly leaning into those languages or breaking down a text in a, in a very good way. 
But if the point of you doing that is to draw attention to yourself and self-promotion, God is saying it means nothing to him because it's not ultimately going to build up the body of Christ. It's actually going to cause more insecurity, rivalries, and division. If you are great at and just cultivating intimacy through prayer. And you love to pray. And when people hear you pray, they're like, oh my goodness, you are just a great prayer. But you are praying like the Pharisees in Matthew chapter six to be seen by man, to be praised by man. Paul is saying, you're just making noise. He goes on and he says this. If I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge And you can hear the hyperbola here, right? No one has all knowledge and all mysteries but God. But he's like, if you think that that's you, if you walk into every room and you're like, I'm the smartest person in the room and I can show you some stuff and make connection points that you cannot make in your Bible, right? But he says, but you do not have love. Again, he says, you are, uh, in in essence, you're nothing. You're doing nothing. Okay? Okay. Social media is a gift in many ways. Amen. It's a gift. You get to check on friends and families, give an update, uh, be a part of conversations you wouldn't ultimately maybe be a part of, hear from people that you wouldn't normally hear from. But uh, the negative of social media is you also get to see sometimes or uh, what's in people's hearts, right? Uh, Jesus says that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And one of the most discouraging things for me, I think, as I entered into the world of social media years ago was to see some spiritual heroes of mine and how they interact on social media. Now, these are people that I used to love to listen to. And man, they would open the Bible and, and just exposit it. And I just would learn so much. And then you see how they interact with other people, how rude they are, how demeaning they are, right? How argumentative they are. And you just say, their, their whole ministry just kind of disappeared to me. In fact, I started praising God, not uh, for them and their gifts, but for the block and mute button, right? <laughs> um, Paul is saying, listen, man, if that's you and you can explain all the mysteries of the gospel and you have all this knowledge, but you do not love, look at what the text says. He says, and he puts it first person here. So he's kind of putting it on himself. He says, I am nothing. I am nothing. He's like, y'all, I'm talking about me. I am nothing. Look at this. And if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast, notice that, that's the motive, in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And so Paul is saying you can be um, a Christian philanthropist. You can uh, uh, be like Mother Teresa. (laughs) You can live like a a monk. You can be a martyr. You can be a martyr. But if it's about you and it's not about the glory of Jesus, you are doing nothing. So his point is that love must be a priority. And that's not just Paul's point, right? That's that's Jesus's point as well. In John 13, uh, one of Jesus's last sermons to the disciples, he says this, Everyone will know that you are my disciples by the knowledge that you are able to share with one another. No, everyone will know that you are my disciples by when you give, you make a big deal out of it so everyone can praise you. No, you will know my disciples by the way you chop down people on social media. Man, we got a lot on that. Everybody like, mm, I'm feeling that. 
No, you know my disciples by what? By the love. By the love that they have for each other. The way that they are treating each other. So that's the priority of love. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. What? With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen, he's calling us to love him with our heart and with our mind. There's nothing wrong. If you have the gift of knowledge, that's good. The church needs your knowledge. If you have the gift of wisdom, we need your wisdom. If you have the gift of tongues, like build the church up with your tongues. But we have to pursue the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to do it for the right reasons, the right way, and for the right motives, which is the glory of God. Priority of love. Second, we're going to look at this, the picture of love. Or I'm sorry, the practice of love, the practice of love. Verse four, love is patient. Love is kind. Now, as Paul is giving this description, we want to know that this is a verb. Okay? So we could say it like this. Love shows patience. Love shows kindness. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. Is not arrogant. Is not rude. Is not self-seeking. It is not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. Now, this is that 10 minutes that I told you about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> All right? Clock stop. Stop. 10 minutes. Where if you have any self-awareness... <laughs> And you know that this is a sermon of love and what God is calling us to right now, there's a tension because you're thinking about this week and all the ways you weren't patient and the times that you weren't kind. And let me tell you something. It is really hard to prepare a sermon on love. <laughs> and you wake up early in the morning and you have the most lovable kids, but you find yourself irritated. Uh, I can't find my sock. <laughs> right? <laughs> And you're just reminded, like, I've got some work to do, all right? <laughs> Holy Spirit, I need you. And they're like, we feel the same way about you. <laughs> we heard you asking mama where your phone is, uh-huh. <laughs> but that self-awareness, you're like, man, love is, it is an action and it is hard. And I think before we run to, like, us asking this existential question, like, am I loving? Am I growing in these things? The first thing we need to see is that, man, this is describing God. In 1 John, we read that God is love. First and foremost, if we are going to uh, be able to be a people who are loving others well, we first have to see the love in which God loves us with. In Exodus chapter 34, Moses wants to see the face of God. He wants to see him face to face. And he asks, Lord, can I see you face to face? And God hides him behind a cliff, and he doesn't show him his face, but he shows him his, his, his backside. He comes through in a cliff, and he just kind of shows him a part of his glory, and then he just preaches who he is to Moses. You guys remember that story? And he says, listen, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is who God is. And in Jesus' ministry, throughout his ministry, he wants his people to understand who God the Father is. As they have this picture of God the Father being irritable, 
or legalistic. And they don't see that he, above everything else, is loving. So what does he do? He tells stories about this father who just is is interrupting and and disrupting the way in which they see him. And he's telling stories to let them know that, man, in God's kingdom, the first shall be last. Tell stories about a father who patiently waits for his son who has dishonored him in an honor-shame culture, who has went and, and, and spent all of his father's inheritance that he saved up for him. And rather than his father be rude and irritable when he comes back home, he embraces him with a hug. I love it. As one of my pastor friends, uh, Brad Bell, says, God, instead of throwing punches, he threw a party. This is God. This is Jesus. This is Jesus who, when lepers came and and everyone else was running from them, ran towards them and healed them. This is Jesus who drew near to the marginalized and who called them blessed. This is his love. This is Jesus who, when everyone else was condemning a woman woman who... uh, undid her hair and and took some expensive oil and and put it on her hair and wiped his feet, who welcomed her and said, you are an example who will forever be remembered in my kingdom. I don't see you as a sinner. I see you as someone with whom the Lord is saving. So as we read these passages, may we see Jesus and may we Know that today, right now, this is his heart towards you in Christ. That Jesus shows patience to you. Every morning there's new grace and there's new mercy. That Jesus shows kindness to you. That Jesus is not boastful or arrogant. That Jesus is not rude or irritable. That Jesus does not keep a a record of wrongs. The thing that you are beating yourself up for 15, 20 years ago, Jesus has thrown into a sea, Isaiah says, and the name of that sea is forgetfulness, which is an anthropomorphic term. God cannot forget. He is all-knowing. But what he's saying, I choose to not remember what you did yesteryear, yesterday, 10 minutes ago. In Christ, you have been forgiven. So here's the thing. If we don't see God as being love, And him coming towards us every minute of every day with a welcoming arm, saying, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. We are going to live a performative life. And that performance is going to turn to a self-righteousness and an arrogance. And then we will slowly drift into treating other people in in a certain way, because we feel like we need to get a certain, very specific love from them, not recognizing that we have that love already in the Father. Or we'll just fake it till we make it, and then we start um, believing that our poop don't stink, and before you know it, everyone else is wrong, and we're right, and we walk into every room, essentially with The posture that says, if everyone would just listen to me and do what I say, everything will be all right. But when we 
look with honest eyes and first see that God is this way towards us. And second, that we are in desperate need of the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to love well. We can then begin to be shaped by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to be patient and to be kind. St. Augustine has this principle, which is essentially uh, talking about how sin is curved in on itself. And he, he talks about how through um, sin, what it does is it just bends us inward to the point that all we do is look at ourselves and see ourselves, and everything is interpreted through ourselves. And that's, that's all of us. We feel that pull every day of, of just becoming self-centered or self-focused. And we need something powerful enough to break us out of that inward bent. One pastor puts it this way. He says this, humanity suffers from a severe condition. No matter if our physical eyes may be able to gaze upward, our spiritual vision tends to curve horribly in upon itself. And with this stunting self-focus, of our attention, we cut off love. Hey, I just want to slow down here just for a second and just pause because some of us right now, we are, we are suffocating through self-focus. And we are suffocating friends, family members, and maybe even our children through self-focus. And the only solution, the only solution that's going to help bend us outward and straighten us out is this. It's the power, the solution, the only solution that is powerful enough to straighten us is the gospel of Jesus, right? It's the good news of Jesus that can take us from being bent inward to to bend us straight outward. And so the question is, how do we, we practice love. If it is a, a verb, how do we put it to practice? It's not merely a feeling. Y'all hear me say this a hundred times. Feelings are great indicators. They are horrible dictators. When Jesus was on the cross, he showed us what loving his enemies looks like by praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I'm pretty sure that as those nails were piercing his palms and his feet, and as he was stripped naked in shame before the community outside the camp, that he didn't feel like praying that but he prayed it. He prayed it because he was committed to it. So he acted. So how do we go from bending inward to bending upward and outward? One, as we reflect on the mercy of God towards us in Christ Jesus, we need to make a regular practice of just reflecting on the mercy of God towards us in Christ Jesus. Being real and taking time to think about how we have fell short how we have been impatient, how we have been rude, how we have been non-responsive to others, how we have failed to show up for others. And we reflect on that. So a wonderful woman by the name of Suzanne Bates, I, she has a practice that I uh, just think, think is incredible. She just talks about when she's really struggling with bitterness and, and not loving someone, she takes a sheet of paper and she just fills it up with all the ways in which she has fallen short of God's standards within the last week. And then she reminds herself that God is merciful for her in Christ Jesus. And that in the same way, the Holy Spirit empowers her to be merciful to someone else who may have done one or two things that have been irritable. 
to we confess our sins and struggles to the Lord and to others. We take time to confess, Lord, I have fallen short in this way. And we don't do that from a defeatism posture because we know that God already knows. And he has us coming to him, not so that we can be and feel condemned, but so that we can rejoice knowing that Christ has paid for our past, present and future sins. And that this is the very reason in which he died for us so that we can come to his throne of grace with boldness, rejoicing that the penalty of sin no longer sinks us. So we pray for the Holy Spirit to help us to love. We rejoice because God is good and that in him there is no condemnation. Then we practice love. And what does practicing love looks like? It looks like we replace acts that are unloving with acts that are loving as opposed to being rude. We practice patience or kindness as opposed to boasting. We practice not sharing about ourselves and asking more questions and celebrating with what God is doing in someone else's life as opposed of being envious because God has given someone something that you want or you think you deserve. You do the opposite. You push outward. You take out a card and you write a word of encouragement and you celebrate with them and you ask the Lord to help your feelings to come along with your loving actions. God is calling us to cultivate Christ's likeness. Listen to this. Love cultivates Christ's likeness over cynicism. What I mean, look at this passage. This, passage, this one verse for a long time has just stuck with me and I've struggled with because it, it can, if read the wrong way, understood the wrong way, lead to um, maybe abuse or a sitting under abusive behaviors in leadership. Look at verse Seven, Paul says this, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and what? And we can read that and say, well, God is calling me to be loving, so I have to bear with everything that someone puts, <laughs> puts me through. And that's not what this passage is talking about. And how do I know that? Well, I know that because the apostle Paul is bringing some heat to this church. After the first nine verses, he's like, I thank God for you. You have every spiritual gift. You know all this knowledge. You, you, you have all of this going on for yourself. And then after that, he's like, now, on to what I needed to write to you about. <laughs> there is a report from Chloe's household, right? Chloe like, why you put me out there like that, right? <laughs> Y'all, Chloe done told me some stuff. <laughs> Somebody like, snitches get snitches. No, let me stop. <laughs> get back in the spirit. All right. But Paul, throughout the letter, is writing, and he is correcting this church, truthfully, directly, right? Love speaks the truth. Love is able to put up boundaries. He's not, when he says love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, I believe what he's showing is a posture in which, through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we receive God's love, we don't become a cynical people. A, a people who, are, who is constantly living in bitterness. But as a result of God's love, we are able to, to see people and to walk into situations and treat them how Christ treats us. How Christ, Christ treats us. 
And so rather than holding a person's sin against them, we forgive and we treat them with the love of Christ. That may mean from a distance. That may mean putting up more boundaries. That may, may mean loving them, but not being close to them. But we, 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 we don't become cynical and mistreat them. And then lastly, we see here that love never ends. The permanence of love. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. And I believe that he's, he's talking about at the eschaton, when it's all over and we're in a new heavens, a new earth, there will be no longer be a need for prophecies or uh, tongues or this type of, of, of knowledge as we all will see God and know God for ourselves. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. And so Paul is saying part of Christian maturity is not prioritizing spiritual gifts over love. Part of growing up in Christ is understanding that God has given each of us spiritual gifts in a measure of faith and all of us love. Um, And that is what he wants our our focus to be on. Not on creating a culture where there's big eyes and little U's. And let me just pause and say this. In our circles right now, the reason that there is a reckoning of many churches is because we have magnified spiritual gifts to the point that we put up with bad character. If a person can speak well and make us feel good, who cares that he cusses everybody out as an alcoholic and is, is rude off stage? Who cares? Because he makes me feel good. And God is saying, listen, love multiplies the gifts. That's what one theologian said. Love multiplies the gifts. You have a person who is an A plus in spiritual gifts, let's say proclamation or something else, but they are, are D in character. What is in the dark is going to come to the light. And in many cases, it kind of undo, undoes all the good that they've done. But you get a person who is moderately gifted, but with whom God's love just shines through. That person is building their ministry on a solid rock, which is Jesus, so that when the wind comes and the rain pours, um, that house is going to stand. And even though that may not have been stylish and and made us feel as good, there's substance there and there are disciples who have made disciples. And at this church, that's what we care about. The Bible says that our job as pastors is to equip the body for the work of the ministry. It's not to put on a show. It's not to make us feel good about ourselves or you feel good about yourself. It is to, for us to come together into this holy huddle on Sunday to receive the same message as the body of Christ, the same encouragement so that we can mutually use our gifts to build each other up and to share the gospel with a world who has a vision of love that is not true love. And this love that Paul is putting before the church 
as a, as a love that endures. Let's finish this out. It says this, picking up at verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Wow. <laughs> Let me just say this. Look, did you read that? We see dimly through a mirror right now. And the reason why some of us are so unloving is because we have been deceived to think that we are seeing clearly. We argue people down to the bone and cut them in our root and condescending. Sometimes as if we are seeing clearly and everyone else is seeing dimly. Listen, on this side of heaven, in Christ Jesus, we all, Paul says, see through a mirror dimly. Now, he's not saying we shouldn't have convictions. He's not saying we shouldn't stand up for truth. We absolutely should. But we do so in love with Jesus as the focus, not with us being right as the focus. Now, I know in part, but then I would know fully as I am fully known. Now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. That's powerful. These three remain, faith. Have a faith that moves mountains. If you don't have love, it means nothing. One day we will no longer need faith as we will see the object of our faith, Jesus Christ face to face. Hope, faith standing on his tiptoes in, in anticipation. One day we will no longer need hope because everything that we have hoped for will be fulfilled in the triune God. But love, love will be present in glory. Love, love will fashion the very streets of gold that we walk on. Love will be surrounded by us as we recognize that there is no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears, no more death. No more irritability, no more impatience, no more rudeness, because the love of Christ has filled us so much. His glory has filled us so much that we no longer major in ourselves, but now we major in Christ and what he's done for us. So I just want to actually pause and uh, close out a little differently at this point. We're going to put some prayer prompts on the screen. And uh, I'm going to just walk us through that for, for a couple minutes. And as we are, are praying this together for ourselves as a church and as a congregation, um, I want you to believe and understand, and I want to believe and understand so strongly that the Holy Spirit is able the Holy Spirit is able to cultivate us as individuals and as a church into a radical community that is known first and foremost by its love. Like the church at, uh, at Corinth, we have been gifted in many ways with many gifts. That showed up yesterday. The way we love this community, man, and the creativity of the cars uh, for trick or treat, that was amazing. That was love. And people felt that love through the community as they came out and our reach team just lavished love on them with preparation, with putting our hands to the plow together. It's beautiful. May we be like the church at Thessalonica who, whose love just resounded throughout Macedonia. The way that, that happens is if we make sure that we are abiding in Christ's love, knowing that through abiding, we bear fruit. And that we are slowing down to be intentional.
So let's pray. Here's the questions that I want to lead you through. Is where can you rejoice in Christ because love is evident in your life? First thing I want you to think about is where can you rejoice because love is evident in your life? It will be a crime for you to leave this place, beat yourself up because of where you fell short and not recognize that you may not be where you want to be, but you, if you are in Christ, you're not where you used to be. So let's pray. And just think about that and embrace that. Where have you seen God's evidence in your life? Maybe one way you can encourage someone this week is to tell someone else where you have seen that evidence in their life. Second, where do you feel the Spirit's call to love better? Are there any patterns in your life right now where you have unloving behavior towards someone? Are you still playing with childish toys when God is calling you to put that away? Who's keeping you in prison through embitterment? Who, when you see them, you don't think the best, you don't believe all things, but you immediately put, put the worst script on themselves. No matter what they do, they are always up to something because of that one time that they crossed you. Who are you trying to control and manipulate through love? Only loving them because they can give you something or do something for you, but not loving them just to love them. Finally, how is God inviting you to remain in his love and to draw close to Christ? There's one practice you can do this week. One thing you can put off and one thing you can put on to help you to abide in Christ's love. Maybe starting your day five minutes earlier so that you can just Talk to God and thank him. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.